Hello and welcome to this vidcast, which will offer a discussion around the relationship between risk and value. How do you evaluate an asset? Be it a project or a business, it's always the same principle. The value of any asset lies in the ability of this asset to generate cash flows, which are discounted at the weighted average cost of capital, which I am going to discuss later. Now, you all know for the project, we use a net price and value, which confront the value of the asset, cash flows discounted at the cost of capital, less the cost of implementing the investment, I0. And for businesses, we use the enterprise value, which is again a sum of free cash flows discounted at the weighted average cost of capital. Now, what is the relationship between risk, cash flows, and cost of capital? Well, cash flows or free cash flows are risky, variable, volatile. And there is a very strong characteristics of investors. They are risk averse. They don't take a risk for the fun of taking a risk. They expect a return when they take a risk. And if they perceive the risk as higher, they will ask for a higher expected return. This is named risk aversion. So they expect a return when they invest in your project or in your company, which at least matches with what the market is offering. And what the market is offering is named the weighted average cost of capital. Cost of capital because it's what the financial creators expect out of a category of risk, what the shareholders expect out of their category of risk, and weighted average because it's pro rata, the respective investment in a company. Now, you remember that to create value, you have to beat the market. If you go back to the project valuation, the net present value is positive. You create value because the value is more than the cost if and when the internal rate of return, the return, is greater than the weighted average cost of capital. This is why calculating the weighted average cost of capital, the work is absolutely of utmost importance. Now, based on risk aversion, there is something which is very important to observe, which is that you can reduce the risk without deteriorating the return. Then you diversify, you spread the risk, and you build a portfolio of assets. Modern corporate finance is named the portfolio theory. Now, what about the WAC formula? Weighted average means pro rata, the respective investment in the financing of the project and all the company. Shareholders represent 50%. Bankers, financial creditors, represent the other 50%. The sum is 100%. And these respective weights of equity and debt, it's basically the financial strategy of the company. There will be a negotiation between the company and the financial creditors about probability of default, there will be a cost of debt. The cost of debt is after tax because interest expense is tax deductible. The result of this negotiation is 4%. There's no negotiation with the shareholders. They have their own behavior and you need a model which is going to give you a very important output. What, in your opinion, is the expected return? The model is named the capital asset pricing model. Very classical. What will we observe in the diversification when you build a portfolio? These sources of volatility, which disappear in a diversified portfolio, are named specific risks. 
And why does the variability disappear in the portfolio? Simply because the returns generated by these assets are negatively correlated against the same source of variability. Let's take a simple example. Weather sensitivity. Weather sensitivity means that if you are in the soft drink industry, if the weather is absolutely beautiful and the temperature is very warm, you sell more. But those companies which sell goods, thanks to which you can increase the temperature of your house, of your home, these companies they sell less. So good news for one is bad news for the other. This means negative correlation against the same source of risk. These are specific risks, and for these specific risks, the risk disappear in the portfolio. What remains is a one and unique risk for which then the correlation is positive. Positive correlation means it's good news for everybody or bad news for everybody. The one and unique risk, which is systematic and remaining after diversification, is the sensitivity to macroeconomic condition. Now, when the economy is doing well or when the economy is collapsing, there are some businesses which are going to react a lot or react negligibly. Then the relative sensitivity to what happens to macroeconomic condition is named the systematic risk. Now, the coefficient, which is a consequence of this relative sensitivity, is a systematic risk coefficient and is named the beta with the CAPM and the Beta, Markowitz and Sharp got the Nobel Prize in Economics in 1990 together with Merton Miller, but Miller it was on another topic. Now, how do you use CAPM to calculate the expected return on equity? You consider first a risk-free rate, long-term government bonds. It's absolutely risk-free. Then you add a risk premium which is calculated multiplying what we name the equity market risk premium, a kind of difference between what you expect out of shares against what you expect out of risk-free rate, multiplied by the beta, which characterizes your relative sensitivity against all the other assets listed on the market. Today, the risk-free rate in the United States is about 1.6%. The equity market risk premium is a topic and the focus of endless discussions. Should we take a historical? Should we take a forward-looking? Uh, should we take a long-term government bonds, short-term treasury bills or whatsoever? Forget about that. We take something like 4, 5, 6, 7, 8%. Now, the question on which we are going to focus is the beta. The beta is an econometric calculation if you're an asset manager building a portfolio of assets for which you need to understand the relative evolution of the stock price against the stock market. And on an econometric point of view, you calculate a sensitivity of stock returns against market returns. And what do you observe? Let's take two companies and observe their reactions to market fluctuations. For example, for the first company, when the market is up by 2%, the company's stock price is up by 4%. And when the market is down by 1%, the stock price is down by 2%. You understand that the fluctuations of the market are multiplied by 2. The beta is 2. Is plus 2% generates plus 1. And minus 1 generates minus 0.5. Then you understand the beta is absolutely 0.5. You have a beautiful formula which is a beta of asset number i in the portfolio, 
is numerator, the covariance between the return of this asset and the return of the market, divided by denominator, the variance of the return of the market. This is absolutely great. The only difficulty is the implementation. Now, preparing a future video, I was looking at Canadian distribution firms, and I calculated the beta of Loblo and Metro over more than 20 years. Why do you observe? It's very chaotic, very volatile. Sometimes it's even negative. When it's negative, you are not going to consider that the investors, they expect a negative risk premium. It would be stupid. Then what do you do? Oh, do you take an average? Yes, but over which period? Three years, five years, over the entire period? Well, it seems that it's less than one in the long run. But that's the past. What about the future? And if you look at these two companies, you understand that sometimes they are wandering together on the stock market and sometimes not, absolutely not. Look at what happens shortly after 2014. The beta is up for Loblo and in the meantime, the beta is down for Metro and it looks extremely symmetric for a while. So what are you going to do? To complete this vidcast, I would like to give you three observations and comments. The first one is about negative observed betas. The second one is about what about the future as opposed to the past. And then we are going to discuss strategy and competitive position of the firm. The third observation has a very curious title, isn't it? It's not risky, but it's still very risky. I will tell you a little bit later. Negative betas. The graph shows you the evolution of the beta as it was published by Standard & Poor's, which a few years ago was publishing each and every year a few pages on each on every of the 500 companies listed in the Standard & Poor's 500 index. The five companies which show in the graph that belong more or less to the defense industry. And where do you observe? At the beginning of the 2000s, what happens? For some companies, the beta is strongly negative. For some others, it's a bit down, and then it will be up again. But for Northrop Grumman and for Lockheed Martin, which are very much in the defense industry, the beta is negative, significantly negative. Because we are in a war time. There are conflicts. And so for the defense industry, the stock price is up. The EBITDA, the cash flow, and the revenues are up. This is why the stock price is up and the stock returns are positive. When in the meantime, you have the consequences of the explosion of the internet bubble. So stock market indexes are down. And for these companies, stock market returns are up. Then you understand that temporarily, the beta will show strongly negative. You are the CFO. You are not going to put a negative beta in the calculation of your work. Then you are going to try to observe long terms and you are going to kick out this period. On the left-hand side of the graph, you observe that the beta was 0.5 to 1. And then if you exclude this very specific period, you understand that it seems that the betas are up. It doesn't tell you anything about the future. The second observation which I propose you is a beta of Facebook. Facebook was listed in May 2012. I give you two betas. One is calculated over 12 months and the other one over 36 months. 
So over 12 months, you understand that it's much more volatile than over 36 months. This is why, personally, I prefer 36 months because it gives you more information about the stability of the beta. Then the first beta, which is provided over 12 months, is 12 months after the listing, May 2013, and then it's very chaotic. Why? Because after an IPO, it's always extremely chaotic. Then there's a kind of stabilization. But let's concentrate on the 36 months beta. What happens first is the beta is about one and then it goes down. Why? This is only my interpretation. But the market is going to understand that social networks are very, very essential products, I would say, quite important in the life of almost everybody on the planet. And on the planet, Facebook is alone. Facebook is a monopoly. This is why the beta is going to be 0.5. When there is a potential competitor which shows here and there, Facebook is buying the competitor. Instagram, WhatsApp. And then what's going to happen? Oh, Twitter and Snapchat are competitors, but quite weak competitors at the very beginning. But then they are going to show progressively the resilience, the robustness, the quality of their business model and of their business operations. This is why now, but it's my interpretation, Facebook is no more a 0.5 beta monopoly. It's an oligopoly in which Facebook is definitely stronger than the competitors, but the competitors, they do exist. So you understand that when you want to estimate the beta in the future, are you going to be a monopoly? Is this monopoly resilient? Is it sustainable in the long term? Is there any possibility that there will be some competitors, incredible competitors, which are going to show? Then you understand that it's about business economics, understanding industry organization, understanding your strategy and your competitive position in the future. The beta is not a covariance. It is understanding the business economics of your company. Third observation, let's take a business which is definitely a very risky business, the biotech business. I took two companies without giving you the names so that we focus on the beta. These are obviously real figures on real companies. These two companies, they share the fact that they were listed in 2015. These are the 24 months betas of these two companies observed after their listing. At the beginning, post-IPO chaos. Same story as Facebook. Then they seem to go walking together with a beta which looks like one, which is quite high for the pharma. We'll discuss that later. And then what happens? For the first company in blue, the beta is collapsing, is zero, and stays at this level for quite a while. And then the beta starts going up again and is less than one. What will happen to the second company is basically the same. It will start a little bit later. The beta is dramatically down, becomes significantly negative, is supposedly a little bit up, but quite close to zero. The question is, what happens? Then you have to remember that the biotech business is very risky. Why? Because the output is failure or success. It's binary stuff. The approval process is an extremely long, risky and difficult process. It takes years and there are many accidents which might happen in the process. 
then when the company is announcing good news or bad news, what's going to happen to the stock price? It will be up or down, irrespective of what is currently happening on the capital market. Because what is more important is the evolution of the approval process. And it by far exceeds any impact from capital market and systematic risk. And then you can even ask, is it relevant or irrelevant to calculate a beta? It seems that on the graph, the beta is less than one. And it's the case for the pharmaceutical industry. But a beta which is less than one tends to demonstrate that the business is not risky. And we all know that biotech is risky. Now, if you go back to risk and valuation and discount rate, the systematic of the industry is low. Why? Because an efficient drug is definitely an essential product. If you're suffering from a disease and a pharmaceutical company is announcing an extremely efficient drug for your disease, of course you're going to consume the product, whatever happens to macroeconomic conditions, because it's essential for your health. This is an essential product. Then the beta and the systematic risk is low. And then the WAC is low. So where is the risk? The risk is not at the level of the denominator in the cost of capital. Then it is at the level of the numerator. And at the numerator's level, we are going to replace cash flows by expected cash flow, a kind of mean. What does it mean, expected cash flow? It means that you are going to multiply a probability of success by the cash flow which you are going to generate if your project is successful. Of course, you don't take into account the probability of failure because then the cash flow is nil. But there is a huge variability. What is very interesting to observe is that this variability is disappearing within the portfolio. Imagine that you are the investment director of a pension fund and you consider that it's the right time to invest in biotech business. What are you going to do? You are not going to put all your eggs in the same basket. You are going to invest in different eggs, which you are going to put in different baskets. And then what's going to happen? As there is absolutely no correlation between the technological success of R&D project in one company and the technological success of another R&D project in another company, if you build a portfolio, the variability is going to progressively disappear with the size of the portfolio. So, of course, if you are an asset manager, if you are a financial analyst, if you are the CFO, you are going to build decision trees. You are going to build scenarios with ex-ante, subjective probabilities based on your historical background of this project, of this technology, and so on and so forth. But that's it. It's going to be an expected cash flow discounted at a low cost of capital. And what is absolutely fundamental is to avoid any confusion between the specific risk, which shows at the level of the numerator expected cash flow, versus the systematic risk, which shows at the denominator's level weighted average cost of capital with a low beta. And definitely don't increase the discount rate because of risk. What is specific? What is systematic? Numerator, denominator. A few conclusions for this vidcast. Risk is about variability. Then you can observe the variability. And for assets, you can calculate a standard deviation. You can calculate covariances, variances, or whatsoever. This is not the risk. This is the observation of the risk. This is a consequence of the risk. 
The real question which is relevant is what are the economic and technical sources upfront of variability and volatility? Then the question which you have to ask yourself is what can or cannot be mutualized? And then you understand that if you want to make a relevant financial calculation, you have to make a strong link with the business reality, technology, economics, consumers, variability. And you understand that this link is definitely in the roots, in the philosophy of this academy. This is why my conclusion is definitely no surprise to you. Thank you very much.